shall we? This morning I want to share with you a message on holiness. You know that the year of 2017 was themed on holiness, and today is the last Sunday of the year, and I need to complete that teaching and uh, that message with you. So I want you to understand the holy covering that God has for us. Let's ask Jesus to help us. Lord God, would you reveal to us your work of your hands and the beauty of holiness that adorns us. May we begin to recognize this holiness that we walk in and that you have given to us. We ask you to bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Holiness is the character and nature of God. He is holy, pure, without blemish, without failure, lacking nothing. He is other than anything you know in this world. He is apart from all things, perfectly holy, set above and beyond all other things. Now, if you'll examine yourself and our own lives, you understand according to Isaiah 64.6, we, on the other hand, are like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags or polluted garments. We've all gone astray. We have all missed the mark. There is none that has made themselves righteous in their own state. In fact, if I could be so crude, and it's important for me to share with you the depth and the dimension of the Word of God, when Isaiah chose the word filthy rags, he specifically chose the Hebrew words that mean menstrual rags. And he was saying, we have all become unclean, if you will. Now that's a great disparity between God's holiness and ours. We have none. So how is it that God could make us holy, and in fact even command us to be holy, unless He made a provision? And that provision is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you need to understand is that Jesus clothed Himself in our unrighteousness and in our sin. We're using the terms of clothing and apparel today. And so we see the beauty and the glory of God and we see that our glory and our ability is as a filthy rag, an unclean garment. But God bridging the gap between His holiness and our filthiness, Jesus came and brought our sins upon Him. He who knew no sin became what? Sin. He clothed Himself on that cross with our sin. He wore my sin on His body. He wore your sin on His body. And He was wearing it when the judgment of God's righteous holy wrath was poured out upon Him. And so it's by Christ wearing our filth that we can now wear His holiness. It's an exchange of garments. Paul talks about this. To take off the old man and put on the garments of a new man. And that garment that we're wearing is the glory and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Word of God put upon us. So it's important for you to take off the grave clothes. Take off what you've come out of. You remember when Lazarus came out of the grave he said Lazarus come forth and he had to tell them unwrap that man hate to have a miracle of someone coming back from the dead and then suffocating in his old clothes 
He was wrapped up. You and I have been wrapped up in the bandages of sin and shame in this world. And Jesus is unwrapping us. And He's putting His garments of glory on us. And that's a beautiful thing. And so we wear the character and the nature of God. How? It's been infused in us by the gift of righteousness. As you've received Jesus as your Savior, a garment of righteousness and cleanliness has come on you. Your sins are atoned and covered, forgiven. And the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of holiness, is put into you so that you have a new nature. The old man is crucified. So bury those old clothes, get rid of those old garments, those old ways, those old patterns. Because I have a new identity and I have a new person in me. I'm in Christ Jesus and I wear his garments of righteousness. So I walk in holiness. Holiness is our covering now. Holiness is what protects us. And we're arrayed in the garments of Christ. Paul says this in Romans 3, 23 to 25, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to receive by faith. A very important word that Paul chose there, propitiation. It's a term for the sacrifices of the Old Testament, and it's a term for atonement. To propitiate is to pay the price and to cover. To atone means to cover. And so all our sins have been covered by the blood, the righteous blood of Jesus Christ. Does anybody here know that? Do you know that? You know that. You have a covering, you're to wear the garment. Once baptized in the blood of Jesus, it's a holy garment. It's precious before God. And it should be precious for you to wear and to understand that we are adorned in the beauty of holiness. This is the power of God's redemption. We, it's an amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. You know, there are some gospels or, or some hymnals that, are, that take the word wretch out of that song because they think it's too offensive. It better be offensive. We've got to identify who we were. Once I can identify what I was, I can walk in who I am and what I'm becoming. I was a wretch. Somebody said, well, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. Can I encourage you? You were a wretch. And the closer you get to the Lord, the more you find out what a wretch you were. Right? That's what he keeps doing by the power and presence of his Holy Spirit to cleanse us inwardly and to continue to cause this, this garment that we wear to glorify God in a greater measure. Well, I was led to a story today that I want to share with you about a piece of garment that God told Jeremiah to put on. It's a garment of a sash. It's found in Jeremiah 13, verses 1 through 7. I'll tell you the story. You can read it, or I put up the main verses right here. You can read it at home as well. Jeremiah 13, verses 1 through 7. God told Jeremiah, I want you to go and buy a linen loincloth and put it on your waist and do not get it wet. 
Now, many commentators believe that this is a, a precious piece, a satin uh, linen garment that many times the high priest would wear, and he would wrap it. It's, it's an ornate, beautiful belt, a sash that he would wrap around his waist and uh, wear it for ornamentation. And so God told Jeremiah to do that and to wear it and don't get it wet. How many of you guys ever had a, a satin tie? Right? One drop of water, typically one drop of food, usually for me right about here. There seems to be a stop. One little drop of water on a silk tie ruins it. And so, don't get it wet. Keep it clean. It's beautiful. And that was Israel to the Lord. Israel was the beautiful sash that God wore around his waist. The high priest would wear it. And it's a figurative language that God was wearing Israel as a sash so that all could see Israel as the nation of priests that would mediate between all other nations and God. But one day, God told Jeremiah, take that sash and take it to the Euphrates River. Now, the Euphrates River is in Babylon. And so he's to take it down to the Euphrates, and he's to hide it in the cleft of a rock. And so he takes that sash, he hides it in the cleft of a rock by the Euphrates River. And you know what will happen when, it, when the water rises. He left, and then many days later, this is about a... Uh, a bit of a hike, about a three-week hike to get to Euphrates and back. He comes back, and, it, and, and it, the Lord tells him, now go get the loincloth I commanded you to hide. And so he goes and he gets it, and when he picks it up, he finds it, and he says that it was spoiled, and it was good for nothing. And so in this story, God is telling Judah, the nation, that you have spoiled your calling. You have failed me. And Judah was warned about keeping Sabbaths, and they wouldn't. Judah was warned about keeping the law, and they wouldn't. And God said in this illustration, you're my beautiful people whom I have redeemed out of Egypt. I wore you as a beautiful sash and garment, keeping you spotless and clean. But you have spoiled yourself. You have become tarnished with the other nations. And now you are a filthy rag, and you are good for nothing. So what did God do with Israel? He sent them to the Euphrates River. He sent them to Babylon. Does anybody remember how long? Seventy years. But God had a covenant with them, didn't He? Did God give up on them? No. He punished them. He disciplined them. He spoke to them. But he always gave them promise of restoration. And he brought them back into the land. He needed to do this because Messiah was going to come through them. And he was going to save the world through Messiah, through Israel. Now, compare this to the church. We've been bought with a price. We're his radiant bride. We're his linen sash that Jesus the high priest would wear. And so we're to wear that holy garment. We're to be spotless and clean. We're to be that 
beautiful garment that doesn't get itself wet. But what happened? We see it in the church at Laodicea. He said, I'd rather have you hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. The key to understanding that analogy is really simple. It takes effort to make something hot. It takes effort to make something cold. But if it just stays the same temperature as its surrounding, it becomes lukewarm. And it becomes the same climate as the world around it. And that is not to be the church. We're to be the holiness of God in this earth. And so brothers and sisters, we can't ignore the sin in our lives and in the church. We can't go on being tucked in a rock by the water, being splashed on and spoiled. We can't be a people who are saved by the blood of Jesus and then trample that same blood by our actions and deeds and words. We can't be, or we'll be good for nothing. And unfortunately, the Western church in the United States for the past 50 years really has been good for nothing. I'm not putting myself above that. I am that church. I am that people. I I am a representative of a church that's lukewarm. I don't want to stay there. I know you don't either. Now, there's a difference between ignorance of sin. How many of you have ever been captivated by the Holy Spirit when He just points out a sin that you didn't even realize was in you or that you were acting on? How, How often we need that. But God forgives. He forgives all sin. But He definitely will reveal that sin. And and ignorance so often is where grace and mercy come in on our behalf. If you'll remember, Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Many of us are actively involved in some activity of sin in our lives, many to our ignorance. And so the Holy Spirit will enlighten us and show us Sometimes through someone else, sometimes through a friend, sometimes from an enemy. Whatever will get the job done, he'll do it. You've been there? Paul himself said, I found mercy. He, he said this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Formerly, I was a blasphemer. Can you imagine that? Paul, a Jew among Jews, A blasphemer, why? Because he said Jesus was a false god and he persecuted and he killed Christians. He said, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, so there's there's all of us in, in the church we, we are to walk in holiness, but there are things we're doing out of our ignorance. There are things that we've been taught in our church culture and in our church life and what's acceptable among our group of believers. And in ignorance, we're not realizing it's actually offending God. In our liberty as Christians, we ignorantly offend God. I have freedom to do this, freedom to do that, freedom to do this. But when do we take it too far? Think about how we spend our time. 
our finance and our energy. Ignorant of what God is really calling us to do. So we understand the ignorance and sin in our lives as a holy people. And we'll find mercy and God will find us out and and help reveal it. But for this new year and where we're at it this year, I want to talk about the sin we're committing with our eyes wide open. That's another ball game, isn't it? That's called rebellion. Now, in Scripture, the word for love and the word for hate in the Hebrew context, in the Hebrew understanding of things is this, obedience or disobedience. That's the definition of love or hate. In our culture, the definition of love or hate is emotionally based. I love Jesus. I talk to a lot of people, uh, and I know a lot of people that are uh, in adulterous situations, uh, uh, fornicating, uh, people who are abusing their bodies, people are doing all sorts of stuff, uh, and you ask them, do you know Jesus? Oh, I love Jesus. They're emotionally tied to Jesus, right? And so that's what we credit as a relationship with God, your emotional feelings toward Jesus. That is not biblical love. Biblical love is obedience. If you will obey my commandments, Jesus says, you love me. If you don't obey me, guess what? You hate me. That's covenant language. You'll read it throughout the entire Old Testament. Those who obeyed loved God. Those who didn't obey hated God. You said, don't put that on me, Pastor Tim. That's, I love Jesus. I just have a problem. I just have an issue. I love Jesus. I'm just working through it. And besides, grace covers it. It's get out of jail, baby. Get that get out of jail card. I keep that in my back wallet. Grace saves me. It's a hard message, folks. But I've got to preach with our eyes wide open. It's rebellion. And so many of us are emotionally in love with Jesus but defiantly disobeying Him. So that doesn't work. You get this when you're raising your kids, right? Uh, I I experienced this. I've shared this story before. It was a great revelation of Scripture for me. I forget which of my children, probably all of them, at one point telling them, clean your room. And... uh, okay, I will, and they didn't, and I'd go back and tell them to clean their room, and it's like, well, I can't. Uh, You need to clean your room. I love you. I know you love me. One of them pulled that on me. I need you to go clean your room. I love you, Dad. I know, honey. Go clean your room. Dad, I love you. Yes, I know you love me. Go clean your room. (laughs) I love you. If you love me, you'll do what I ask. And I had a Holy Ghost moment right there. (laughs) And I realized as I looked to Jesus, he was like this. "Mm -hmm." (laughs) All right, I'll go clean my room. (laughs) We got to clean this room. Thank God you're emotionally attached to Jesus. But being a believer is more than being emotionally attached to Jesus. It's obeying Him in all our actions, words, and deeds. Because there is a spirit of holiness that abides in us that is always moving 
and always pressing us forward. Paul ran into that Holy Spirit. You'll remember he was on the road to Damascus, right? And as he's going, he got pulled over. Right? He got pulled over for a traffic violation. He was trafficking the wrong information. Jesus pulled him over and said, stop right there in the name of the law. Stop. And he he said this one, he asked a question, how long will you kick against the prick? Another translation, how long will you kick against an ox goad? Do you know what an ox goad is? In ancient Israel, an ox goad is a sharp stick. Modern times, it's a cattle prod. Do you know what a cattle prod is, right? It's got an electrical shock, and you get the cattle moving. (coughs) (laughs) Well, in olden days, they didn't have the electricity. They just had a sharp point. And so an ox goad is something you stick someone with. And so Jesus said, how long are you going to kick against my prodding? My ox goad. Who's the ox goad? The Holy Spirit. Can you imagine everybody take your shoe off and kick a shark stick? And that was the question. And so you have to understand, Paul had been, he was being dealt with by the Holy Spirit. He was being pressed on by the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus would have never said, how long are you going to oppose me? So the Spirit, he knew it because he keeps referencing the face of Stephen throughout his career as he's talking about it throughout Scripture. He talks about Stephen. Something happened when they stoned Stephen and laid his clothes at Saul's feet. That's when the Holy Spirit started prodding him. When he saw the glory of God on Stephen's face and Stephen said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. All of a sudden the ox goat started mm, pushing on Paul. The Holy Spirit is the ox goat, the cattle prod to holiness. How long are you and I going to kick against that pressure of God's Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel 36, he said, I will give you a new heart, sprinkling it with clean water, and I will move you to holiness. So the Holy Spirit is prodding us, moving us, calling us. Now, in our ignorance, we fail Him, and He reveals and shows us. But the times when we are having our eyes wide open, choosing to speak when we shouldn't have, choosing to do what we shouldn't have, to see what we shouldn't be looking at, to to act upon how we're acting, is kicking against the move of God's Holy Spirit. And he's saying, no, my people, I need you as a clean garment. And so doing things in our lives that we want to do that are disobedient to God is called, old school term, being carnal. Carnal Christian. Carnal is another word for flesh, being fleshly. Uh, Appeasing the flesh. And see, when we go to the flesh, in other words, and and let me call them out because I'll just make all of us guilty. Can I? Because isn't this where we get fixed? Isn't this where we get healed? Isn't this where we then change? And isn't that what repentance is? Is a changed 
mind. It's not feeling sorry. See, we've got that mixed up too. We believe that if we feel sorry for our sin, we've repented of it. Nay, nay. Because Paul tells us that godly sorrow leads to repentance. And many times we abort repentance because we felt bad about what we did. Esau felt bad about selling his birthright and through much tears didn't get it back. And so repentance is the changing of one's mind. Again, we're an emotionally based people in an emotionally based culture. So if you feel bad about it, it's okay. But that's not the point. Did you change your mind about it? So this is what happens when we go to the flesh Instead of obedience to Jesus, we're adding something to our spiritual walk. As if Jesus is not enough. Now, now there are so many vices I could begin speaking about. Self-medicating, right? So, we can go to alcohol. And so we're going to play the alcohol game. Let's play the alcohol game. Right? Some of you know what it's like to get free from alcohol. Right? But some others, it's like, I have liberty. One's not, one drink's not going to bother me. How are we going to play this game? When, does it, when do you get buzzed? How many before you get buzzed? You know, you know what I'm saying? Are we going to play that game? What else do you self-medicate with? So, so instead of leaning on the Holy Spirit, it, it's something else. You're killing yourself with your cigarettes. But I've got liberty. You're killing yourself. This is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, everybody that quits smoking is applauding. <laughs> See? They know what I'm talking about. But if I were to list all the sins, uh, uh, someone's waiting for gossip and slander. Right? Do you know anything not done by faith is, in fact, sin? Sin. Right? So don't think you're going to go, <laughs> I'm taking drugs in faith. <laughs> no. I'm not going to go through every sin. That's not of my job. There's one win in you with an ox code that will help you identify it. And I don't stand up here as some model of pure uh, holiness. I'm standing up here with all sorts of bruises and pokes from God's Holy Spirit. I'm getting serious with us as a people because let's not preach a whole year on holiness and miss this. Amen? Jesus isn't a good luck symbol. Jesus isn't a self-help aid. Jesus isn't a philosophy. Jesus isn't a magic genie. Nor is Jesus a bully. He's our high priest, our savior, our mediator, our shepherd, our counselor, our healer, our deliverer. He is all of that. And all of that is within him. And we have full access to all of that. So let's leave everything behind that is offensive to him. And let's take this sash that is the beauty of the Lord. 
And let's wear the garments of Jesus so that the world can discern a difference in us than everybody else. I hate the bumper sticker. I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. That's just an excuse for bad behavior. I am perfect. Biblically, what does that mean? The word means complete. I am complete in Christ Jesus. Yes, I fail God, but I have the complete answer for that failure in Christ Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? And so what this is about, and I don't think this is about legalism. This is not about your behavior. It's about your identity. This is the key, brothers and sisters. We forget we're a holy people, a royal nation. We forget we are the holiness of God. So if I walk in that identity, this isn't about my behavior. I don't have to worry about, should I not do this? Should I not do this? Should I not do that? I walk in step with the Holy Spirit, then I behave with that identity. Does that make sense to you? I'm not going to choose these words that that want to erupt out of my mouth. I'm going to choose the words that the Spirit will rise in me. That's my identity. My identity is I'm a holy child of God. I am the righteousness of the Lord. And so what my actions and my behavior produces is holiness, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, patience, self-control, faithfulness. That is my character. That is my identity. This is holiness, brothers and sisters. You're a holy people. So let's put away the stupid filth. Let's put away those things. And let me ask you this question then. Who do you think you are? I can ask it in two different ways. Who do you think you are? Or who do you think you are? Now, I had, an, I had an encounter with Jesus one day at, at the altar. I was performing a wedding. And uh, weddings are very important to the people getting married. After you do, you know, hundreds of weddings, they become routine. And uh, there was a wedding, and, a, and uh, to be honest, I'll bear my soul before you. I didn't pray about it. It was routine for me. And I came, and I, I got my... Uh, vows and, and the list of everything and, and brought it and put their name in and I came out and we opened in prayer and, and uh, as the groom came down and the bride and groom were standing and looking at each other, I, I saw an intensity on this groom's face that I was shaken. This guy was so intense between Jesus and his bride, I was moved and I lost my place and I was fumbling around in my little script. And, and a message came to me from Jesus that interrupted me. And he said this, who do you think you are? I was devastated. I was embarrassed. And I, I had a hard time trying to get back into this thing and realize he took that ox goad and he just jabbed it in me. I realized, who do I think I am? That I could so nonchalantly perform such a glorious and righteous 
ceremony. Oh, God, I repented. I changed my mind. And so when I do weddings, I pray, oh, God, may this wedding be glorious to your name. May I not be so flippant. May I represent you well. And so I've got to ask that of all of us. Who do we think we are? Now you have that voice in you that tells you who do you think you are. You're a louse, you're a loser, you're not holy. You're a... That's not the way you ask it. But the Holy Spirit says, who do you think you are? Because who you think you are is what you become. And so this message on holiness, brothers and sisters, is this. Who do you think you are? If you'll recognize you are the righteousness of God. You are the holiness of God. Your body is a temple of his very spirit of holiness. You are the children of the Lord. And like Judah, he won't leave you benched in Babylon. He may have to prod you. He may have to get you to repent and change your mind. He may have to sit you out for a while, but he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's just getting you adjusted to your identity. Amen? You're the righteousness of God. You're the people of God. And I want to tell you, the church is going to rise up. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Him the whole fullness of deity, the whole fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. That's Jesus. And you've been filled in Him who is the head and rule of all authority. You've been filled with the very nature of God. And so, here's how we conclude Revelation 19, 8 and 9, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready and it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the church, of the saints. That's who we are. We're the bride of Christ and we're to keep these garments spotless and we cleanse them by what we do. You heard the prophecies. Even as simple as shoveling someone's snow, holding the door for someone, speaking well to someone, not speaking ill of another, doing these things. This is holiness. This is what adorns us. It's the garments of his nature. And Ephesians says, Jesus washes us with his word so he might present us, his church, in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. We're not going to be the sash that Jeremiah stuck in the river Euphrates. We're going to wear the fine linen priestly garments of a bride without spot or wrinkle. Amen? And so it is time for us To respond to who we are and put away foolish things. Put away what the Holy Spirit's been poking you on. There is an identity in you that you've been denying. Many of you are not walking in your identity and your full calling because you're holding on to some issue of the flesh. Let's repent Truly repent, which means you will change the way you think about it. You'll change your mind and walk in the identity of Christ. Stand with me this morning. Holy Spirit of God, Spirit of holiness, come now.
Holy Spirit, penetrate our hearts. Move upon us, O Holy Spirit. Jesus, Jesus, would you invite the Holy Spirit to begin to prod in your heart, begin to show you, Holy Spirit, bring us a new mindset. Help us, O God, in our brokenness. There are things, O God, that we do in our ignorance. There are things that we do fully knowing. Cleanse us, O God. So I'm calling for an altar call this morning that if you would make yourself available to the Lord, come forward at this time. If you recognize that you've been 